Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of the book titled The Birth of the Three. Let's begin. Pascal had taken a circuitous road to this village, shielded in the north wood. Rumor had preceded her. She was, dis she was desperate to find it. After tireless searching, she uncovered its hiding place, for she knew the north wood kept its secrets most securely. One secret served to defend the village bloody tunic more than an army of ten thousand. The identity of Celeste's god. That one secret that promised vagabonds, even aliens like Pasco, safety as well. The elf drifted through bloody tunic like a phantom for days. Untethered, hopeful, Pascal sat down by a bonfire. Immediately, she was joined by a curious fellow. She clutched her knife concealed in her dress. You are the mother of, God, of a god-killer. I have met him. Should I be worried? Pascal turned. No, this was not rigor, was it? The curious fellow smiled, ruffled her hair, his hand flopping, then stood and turned and dissolved in the darkness. Pascal searched and searched. She identified night, then day. The curious fellow became Celeste. Celeste caught Pascal's eye and smiled. You there. I've not seen you here at any time before. There's a glow to you. There is the promise of war in you. The end of the elven nation as we know it. Should I neutralize the threat? Should I imprison you? Worse, should I follow you? Why, it is the God that I worship, that we worship here together, that restores the health in me. My trust in humanity, the human faith in their God, will be shored up by we elves. We have killed the gods that stood in, this, in his way. Now it is your God that will allow the elves their livelihood. For the world that is to come belongs to humanity. For I am a leper. I have become sicker and sicker. To establish a God, to restore his name, I am grateful it is why I have come here. The only thing standing in the way, faith in one God, fear in another, that was all. A human God, she understood the elves must defend a God they refused to, they refused to exist. Such things as trust and hope, but faith in God, perhaps not a loving God, perhaps not so benevolent, but just and really could a God worthy of worship be anything other than just? Pascal was adept at hiding herself away, dressed in large flowing garments, given foul-tasting concoctions to drink. She was indistinguishable, despite her elfness, from the other pilgrims. She could not distinguish Celeste God from among the other villagers. She was well hidden, protected in the village from those scared of Celeste God. This was the safest place for Pascal. A tear slid down her cheek. Then the mask returned. The elven bride entered the chapel to pray and mask her actions in ritual. King Socha of the half-elves, rotating between night and day, spinning like a wind-driven mobile, stood outside the walls that served to defend the authority of Mount Ish. His army had been massing outside the fortress for weeks. Now an army of some 48,000 had congregated 
on the dusty seabed south of the fortress. Yet the mountain appeared to slumber. As the besieging army continued to grow, there appeared not one sign of alarm beyond the walls. General Prenthook was conspicuously absent. That was okay. King Soja had been salivating over him for weeks. The king, rooted for worship, like a desperate wounded animal, having drunk the intoxicating nectar of the swollen tit of arrogance, I, the future king of all the Abyssine, who will allow both the elder elves and humanity, will allow both to live at peace in this world, choose to represent all three races on my own terms, they will concede my unfailing authority over them, lest they pay with their own lives and the lives of their families. I demand an audience with the High Wizard, Algernon. End this battle before it even begins. Algernon, this man of power and authority among the peoples in the world, come forward. There was a long silence. It skulked. It, hit hundle, it huddled with the tittering and trembling troops, antsy for battle. As he stood outside the lead gate, it threatened to smother them with bronze-plated victory that danced in sconces atop the walls of the fortress. King Chase was among the troops of the humans. Some of his men, his own Wukdu, were sprinkled among them. He was looking for the one opportunity to defeat King Socha and rescue Pindar to establish his, own, his one nation with the help of the hopeful elves. What will we do? queried one general aloud. It is clear the magic wielders do not respect us. King Chase of the Wukdu nation himself refused to feed the ever-hungry flames that escorted the triumphant, consuming both victim and victor. He pursued respect, throwing stones at flitting, faint soldiers. King Socha took a step down a rescinding stairwell, uncertain he would ever exit and breathe true air once more. We will not leave unless we have heard, unless we are heard. We will not leave until every last witch and wizard is slain and their heads mounted to poles for all to see. You have a threat within to me. Swear your allegiance to me, your Algernon. Immediately the south gate creaked open, wounded, without a shout or the noise of something admitting defeat. No battalion of troops exited, no herd of frightful beasts. Only a small contingent, Algernon the High Wizard, was followed by a king, four knights, each dedicated to marshalling one of four winds, and a silent steward with copper-red eyes, bearing the king's coat of arms. Who might this be? asked King Socha, fixed like a gem set in a bucking armor in buckling armor, studying the six men. I am merciless most of all to those who choose to lead, who refuse my place. You have no place here, but you may serve alongside me, should you come to the table. This is humanity's opportunity. This offers me promise, declared the high wizard a boom of thunder which would silence any god or other critic. King Chase found himself in a, in a curious place where he could not deny the statement. He regarded the king in a new light. I will not bow before you. You must know that. But I offer you an alliance, the possibility of a powerful alliance to better establish the Wukdu. 
They are responsible for the well-being of all humanity. You must know, King Socha, representing the many kingdoms and nations of the various human tribes throughout the Abyssin, that to keep humanity intact, to undermine your need for an iron grip, this man and the empire he represents many miles across the sea is a powerful ally in your endeavor. He promises with the weight of his army and navy to be a powerful ally to you as well. What do you say? You do not respect me. You must, as here's reports my own kingdom. They have seen the elves fading in the west. This is their opportunity to establish the rule of humanity. We have not had this opportunity since the dawn of time. Now, with the elves fading, it is time for the advancement of humanity. King Chase waved a flippant hand and worked to deflate the wizard's presence with his coarse lava words, and said in reply, The elves are not fading. They are being reborn. King Socha must know my position on the elves. He hopes for my defeat, as he does of all kings and lords. The future he sees is not the one I see. I will resist him, as I will everyone who refuses the peace and the prosperity of my Wukdu. He knows, we both know, that what benefits one benefits all. We will serve humanity, we will save humanity, because of our relationship with the elves. I do not question the future of the elves, as King Socha sees them, or as you, Algernon, or the king from across the sea. I do not look for the eradication of the elves. Algernon found comfort, like a hermit, hermit crab, in the words he fashioned with his skewering manacles. Humans and half-elves could be burdened with the polished stones he worked with care in his mouth. Thanks to my own enchantment, I have no faith in King Socha, which is why I have called this man King Cleanse from across the sea. He sees what I see. He represents the same line that leads the voyagers here to the Abyssin some 1800 years ago now. He knows that those humans who did settle here, that prosper here, are his own kindred. He looks to defend their lives. You have lost. Was King Clint's army within the walls of Mount Ish? He could not hope to defeat the half-elven troops not without convincing the humans of choosing as the Wukdu had, and put King Socha in his place. King Chase said not a word. This might have been his opportunity. But King Socha surprised the king of the Wukdu. King Socha leaned in to King Chase and said, Look at the standard bearer. There was a touch, like a thrust of a blade. Look into his eyes. King Socha squared off with the king of the Wukdu. What does General Prenhook see in you, if not a threat? What's this? retraced King Chase back, as if to avoid the careful hunter. What's this about the standard bearer? King Socha ignored Algernon and his entourage. He circumnavigated the five and pulled away the bold, defiant youth with red copper irises. The king of the half-elves removed his blade and his rule was established, transfixed, searching for its for his own destiny, as he always did, when among kings, throwing the team to the ground, thrust the edge of it at the boy's throat, securing the bucking and rocking boat beneath his feet. Algernon tried to intervene. King Cleanse and his four 
Knights stood aghast, acknowledging a rare defeat, not looking one another in the eye. Who are you, boy? demanded King Socha. The blade vanished every time he called for his accounting, but by force of will the blade materialized, denying and defeating the teen. What do you mean? I'm afraid I don't understand. The winking mirror returned the hostile firelight, father of his hostile eye. The boy focused his gaze directly into the, the king's eye, not once wavering. The boy was bold. He was fearless. King Chase tried to intervene. He fought off the insinuations and parried away the foggy doubts, a skill rare among kings that peopled the Abyssin. But the half-elf pushed the king. He dodged the human, using his bond to thwart him, channeling his peculiar trust to disarm him. He continued to stare down the unflinching youth. I know what it is to be a standard-bearer. It is the person I seek. It is who I hunger the most for. You slouch, son. You slouch, you carry your charge, not out in front, but on your shoulder. Why is that? You carry no weapon, from what I can see. How do you suppose to defend what every soldier is fighting for, if you yourself do not carry a weapon? Finally, you look me, a king, and not only me, but your own king, in the eye. No standard bearer with such audacity, the audacity of a general, or of a king, would ever be a standard bearer. He must never be a standard bearer. King Socha pounced at a retreating and revoking man. He pounced on King Cleanse and quickly defied who he could be, determining his lack of integrity, demarcating his command and disarming him. I don't know who you are or what you represent, but I take you to be a threat, mm -hmm. a threat to the half-elves, a threat to me, a threat in that you lie, a greater threat than any army, and that my troops you might win over. The four knights acknowledged they were frauds, and they were empty, hopeless vessels before the knife dispatched them. Algernon took a step back. He stood alone, a pulsating shell of light protecting him. King Socha declared, I think you are behind this lie, Algernon. Mount Ish will fall. You will suffer a painful death, I assure you. He slid comfortably into his new role. He, has, he amused himself in the cruelty he acted on, quickly becoming something he was more, a killer, less than a king. The half-elf king circled the standard-bearer. Who really is the king we must fear? Who really is an ally worth having? What have you done? asked King Chase. These were human. They may have been liars, but they did not deserve death. All humans are liars, cowards and liars. I do not understand how we half-elves have suffered your company this long. Really, I don't know who is more insufferable, humans or elves. But I must know who this one individual is. Certainly an ally worth having. More than the paper tiger you, King of the Wukdu. Is the Wukdu worth saving? Is it really those from across the sea whom this man must represent? Immediately, a fault line within the army that stood outside Mount Ish developed. Before, there had been division before. Before, 
before. There had not been division before, where half-elves stood alongside humans. Before, promise stood hand in hand with resolve. Before, courage beat back despair, and envy and prejudice were the first enemies to be driven back by the sword. The arrogant and cruel hybrids squared off against the bigoted and greedy humans. There came the ominous ring of steel as a thousand swords were freed from their scabbards. A beast awakened, the sun emblazoning his golden hide. A rift developed between the two races, shooting like budded knobby roots, scattering, opening up for nectar, needing the taste of blood. The melee shook the whole mountain, but all activity ceased almost abruptly. All eyes turned as the single blast from a trumpet commanded respect, a change incomplete without a common shout. The mountain seemed to jump one foot, then one more, shaking loose the angry red-painted pests awoken from their places inside the mountain, steered all from their malicious intent. What was that? queried King Sosha, standing over the standard bearer. King Chase himself spun around, his sword frozen within inches of an elf man's neck, searching fretfully for one who might depose him from among his own ranks. Algernon, seeing his opportunity, acted fast. He descended upon the standard bearer with the copper red eyes and extended his veil of supernatural protection over him. All eyes flashed like coins as they greeted the source of the bleating trumpet's blast, drawing in like a hot breath. There, alone, atop a white steed, brazen and fearless, defiant in the brilliant sunlight, sat General Pranhook, King Socha's right-hand man. His proclamation touched the hearts of all who found themselves aching, twitching. The troops regarded their new leader, at first foreign, clamoring bells, finally coming together like one sonorous enchantment. He guided a masked man on a trailing horse. Behold, proud hybrids, behold, upright humans, I am the answer to your prayers. You thought yourselves in peril. After that a lasting peace would last between humanity and the hybrids, I am here to tell you that your fears have been vanquished. The Abyssin does belong to your own two races. The elves must yield this land to, you, to us. And with that said, he jumped down from his stomping braying horse. The soldiers of both races crushed forward, grappling him, tearing at him. He developed some pomp and grace, dignifying the troops that quaked and fell at his feet. His words of cheer and command beaded and fell with a noisome clang at his feet. He stepped around his steed then reached for a length of rope. He pulled at the rope violently, pulling along his veiled captive behind him. A hush fell over the troops. He began speaking, his words exploding like glass vessels. The speech circled like noisome birds. The confounding, if enticing, the troops groveled as his speech would not rest, and his words were hounded and chased by desperate fools. Even the few Wuktu found themselves weaponless and kneeling, defeated and hopeless, denied their king. What is this? asked King Chase. Why am I shaking? Why do my own troops cower before one man? He shared the confusion, but quickly fought to step out of the mire. 
He could not fight the fact he had lost his rule. King Socha recovered his place. He shouted so that the words were enunciated by the mountain they collided with. The fact that this man is a man of Tefir may not be lost on everyone else, though it be lost on you. This standard bearer is a greater threat than even this, my right-hand man. General Prenthook circled the kneeling, chained figure, his drawn sword banging loudly and glancing sharply over the physical presence of his voice, which was more often two voices than one. The general turtled, swaggering, leaning on his bold words. Your leaders have chosen blindness, fellow creations. Like this king, Socha, and this, King Chase, blindness is most common among those who rule. They choose blindness. The truth is most disagreeable. I have seen, I have seen because I am the mo I am like most of you. I am a half-elf, born of parents who are without distinction, raised working on a farm for my daily bread, among elves who saw me as something hideous, something that must die. I am a man. I know how to recognize what makes me different from most of the nameless is that peculiar quality that has manifested itself in me. I do not doubt. There is a killer in me, one of bold resolve. Like I said, there is few like me, very few indeed. General Prenthook navigated a perilous course near the crushing, the kneeling god of fire, folding stone alive with veins of gold. What are you? asked General Prenthook. The broken mountain, strangling utterances and discarding their downy bulk, replied, I am a god. Of that there is no doubt. The general throttled the air with a defiant stab. And what is your purpose, god of all the Abyssin? Mine, replied the god, speaking as if drowning in salt water, not knowing what sense was, lost, searching. A brilliant star eclipsed by the cloaked general is to elevate the elven race and to annihilate humanity and the hybrids. Before I strike you dead, and eliminate all hope the elves entertain in owning the entire world once more, and this at the expense of the disadvantaged races, do tell us all, who is it from among these soldiers who have who has been chosen by you to serve you to deceive his fellow soldiers and betray them to their slaughter? The god shuddered, and the fire hissed as the creative magma entered the dark sea light became like a rainbow the fear turned to wonder and the troops kissed the mist stepping forward smiling the god pulled himself in he then replied there are two from among these many soldiers who did serve to undermine these troops also my elves might prove victorious i will tell you all who in fact they are, as I have nothing but the silent grave to anticipate. The two you all must most fear is King Socia of the Half-Elves and King Chase of the Humans. It is a lie, insisted King Socia. I'm not in cahoots with this being or the elves. I'm your trusted companion, your brother, your king, your cause, which is the betterment of all hybrids, is my own cause. 
Immediately, the god's words found food and cowardice and fear, nourished, then swooped down and pecked at the most vulnerable flesh for kings, their soldiers' hearts. The standard bearer struck out two hands, grabbing both King Chase and King Sosha. A god dies today. Do you want to survive to tomorrow? Do you inherit the world that it is to come? King Sosha asserted, I know who you are. King Chase added, As do I. I don't deny it. I do need your help. I do need Algernon's help. Tomorrow is always a hill to climb. The Wukdu must survive today. And with that said, General Brenhook burst through the wall of perplexed, frightened soldiers. King Socha's weapon faded one last time, his faith in steel more mortally wounded. He was unable to throw up any resistance. He took his spree and slid the narrow He took his epee and slid and slid the narrow blade through the half elf's rib cage and into his heart. General Prenthook stuffed the wound with crackly prayers. He knew to respect the dead, especially the vengeful ones. He then faced the wizard, climbing each step. The wizard recovered, the invisible blocks answerable to his ageless command. Algernon swiftly took the standard bearer and king chase of the race of the Wukdu and disappeared in a veil of smoke. And that concludes episode 9, um, the last episode of this book, The, the Birth of the Three, will uh, conclude... Um, next week, um, May the 5th. Thanks for listening. I uh, hope you enjoy it and talk to you next week. Bye.